Beneath your hand, read me a Snyder poem. My eye, the barbed wire, save my look, save the soles of the hook. A leap of power unfurling. Caress me until the mountains back forward the march of these soldiers. The sea fast forwards, the turtle returns to its shell, fish to scale, I to you. Place yourself in my life to replace this island in the universe. Are the cathartic words from Nafia Akdeniz's poem called Emplacement. Galimerhaba, dear listeners. Welcome to the third episode of Sesta. Today I am hosting a radiant person, a very beautiful soul, dear Nafia Akdeniz. Nafia is a poet, an ethnographer, a translator, but maybe about all, she is a no-lands human. Her work is intimate and personal. Through her various intellectual productions, she investigates diverse concepts like displacement, emplacement, memory, home and belonging. She completed her PhD in March 2021, in which she examined Varosha narratives as forms of mnemonic resistance. Among other methods, she collected data by interviewing Varosha refugees. Not only she made use of the story of Varoshans for her academic work, also she converted their stories into poems and thus built bridges between ethnography and poetry and between peoples of Cyprus. Nafia's poetry is demythifying and universal. Her compositions are filled with verses from all corners of Cyprus and underlie the universality of pain and hope against nationalism. She is currently working as a senior instructor at Eastern Mediterranean University as a postdoctoral researcher with Professor Dr. Rebecca Bryant, who is based in Utrecht University, and she is working on her poetry collection, which will be published soon. Today, we will elaborate with her on the politics of poetry in Cyprus, rootlessness and homeseeking, displacement and emplacement and nostalgia for future. Nafia, thank you very much for accepting to be the first interviewee of SESA. It is such an honor and a pleasure to have you here. I know you're very busy working on your multiple projects. So let me begin by asking, how are you? Welcome. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you very much. I feel so happy to be here. I, You know what? I needed to be here today. We are going through difficult days again. And as I was listening to you describing the things that I put my energy on, my time on, seeing that we are again in the middle of a war, maybe another big war coming ahead for humanity. I've been feeling devastated. But talking to you here, you giving me that space of conversation, again, reminded me of a ground for hope that we can share. We people questing for peace, working for peace, thinking for, feeling for peace. So thank you. Thank you for having me and talking to me. It is such a pleasure. I mean, I've been following your work since your first interview with Gazeta Kupris. I share your concerns absolutely with regards to Ukraine and so, and it is maybe even ironic that we will be talking about displacement today and emplacement and, you know, decades later, people at a completely different geography are going through that. I guess we're all concerned and I hope this ends without escalating any further, but you give me hope as well and certainly your poetry. 
I'm a person who was born after the war, and for a long time, I perceived Varosha as yet another space behind barbed wires in Cyprus. I never felt the need to contemplate on Varosha because it was neither my famagusta nor my reality. Only sometimes I would hear about how opulent it was, but that's all. It was as if Varosha was Atlantis, only that it wasn't, and that it was in front of my eyes every day as a war-torn space. The national identity construction was so prominent in the north until 2003 that the people of Varosha, like all Greek-speaking Cypriots, became spectres within time. They were deprived not only of their homes, but also of their subjectivities. In my imaginations, they were others with a capital O. Years later, of course, within the framework of political developments as well, I met your poetry, and your poetry helped me reimagine those spectres as humans with each their own unique story, with their flowers, sands, homes, as you write beautifully. Your poetry made me reimagine Varosha as part of my Famagusta reality and thus made me think about our communal responsibility as Turkish-speaking Cypriots to confront our history. Consequently, one could argue that poetry achieves some things which politicians, even the most pro-unification ones, cannot achieve at numberless roundtables. So my question is, what is the relationship between politics and poetry in Cyprus? Can we speak of a politics of poetry? Wow, but I'm listening, listening to that question. I've been thinking of how I happen to be so far contrasting front for the politics with my poetry, because I think this is one of the reasons of existence of poetry, going against all the military interference of human way of life in, in terms of avoiding public ironically when politics are meant to be for public. So poetry takes its turn to surface the needs of humans as humans, not as a person of a nation, not as person of any race, not as person of any gender. And you can think of all the other categories given to separate and to divide. I find myself to express my concerns and my dreams of the future through poetry because it's at the same time an excavation of what is absent, what is hidden, what is lost, what is already taken away from my life, life in peace, as a Cypriot who was also born in the conflict because I was also born after the war. And I've spent my life since then trying to make sense of the border, of the barbed wire, of the other given community to me as enemy. And as you try to understand all this, you understand how the politics works in the whole world. And I have never seen a political act that is for the public. So public and poetry comes together to reshape narrate to create a new discourse for how politics should work to bring peace rather than to bring war and it's so devastating to see that while we're trying to understand the displacement of our island now we're watching today in front of our eyes another kind of displacement only the geographical territory changes but not the human pain 
my way of writing, especially poetry, at least trying to turn everything into a poetic act in my studies, is to keep asking that question, where do we make that mistake that we find ourselves in the same disaster again and again and again? And exactly, it is, I think, this humanity which we need. And despite that your poetry is very personal, it is also very universal. So when I first heard you speaking, I could completely empathize with you. And at that moment, I thought, okay, I understand her because I happen to be a Turkish Cypriot. But today, many people, let's say in Ukraine, in Syria, could understand you as well, because exactly like you said, it is the agony which is universal. Indeed. And this is what makes poetry poetry through personal autobiographical experiences. The personal makes sense as long as it is heard universally, but not through circulation, through the exchange of similar experiences. I mean, I'm not Ukrainian, I'm not there, I'm not the one being displaced now, but through my experiences, my parental experiences, my way of living here in conflict for decades should teach me how to feel empathy for anyone in the same position. Empathy starts when you start appreciating poetry, for example. This is one of the functions of poetry, if you ask me to list the functions. I would put that as the priority. This is where politics fail. Exactly. The fact that politics failed, I guess it's proven to us over and over again. In your work, in your poetry, you constantly emphasize your rootlessness, your homeseeking, your status as a no-lands human. You wrote that you don't even have a country to leave, and only if you had one, maybe then you could contemplate leaving it behind. And as I understand, it has something to do with being a Cypriot. It has something to do with being born in a country that exists, but that doesn't actually exist. So if I understand you correctly, being a no-lands human is being rootless. It is being a ghost. It is living a perfectly normal life, but in a divided way and disconnected from the world. How does poetry help you deal with this pain of being a no-lands human? I keep defining myself as a no-lands human because, yes, the political scenery makes me feel in that way. This is also, on the other hand, gives me a kind of positive approach to get rid of all the borders of the world. Because when you are from nowhere, everywhere is yours. Everywhere uh, can be a place for you to survive. Every person on earth can be a person that you can connect to, you can uh, communicate, you, you can share, you can exchange, you can feel empathy. So it has two sides to it. On the one hand, I feel I don't have a place. On the other, every place is mine. So I am like a pandalum in between. I am swinging just to catch up. How can I turn this into something positive and powerful to empower others feeling in the same way? So all these contrasts gives me the chance to be creative because the other option is distraction. You can either create out of conflict something new that can heal that crack or from that crack you can just destroy your existence from the wound, let's say. This is my way of 
healing that crack in my mind that I am divided, that I don't belong, that I don't have a country, that I don't have complete whole identity. I have to cross borders all the time. I don't know which side I belong. Why do I have sides? Through poetry, I always, you know, mend and heal that kind of division in me. Poetry is my way of crossing mental borders, crossing physical, political borders, trying to empathize with the people of the world. I can't say that, well, Ukraine is not Cyprus, so why should I care? You go beyond being personal. I would like to return back to academia for a second, because your work there is also extremely interesting. In 2006, you conceptualize Varosha as the body of a pregnant woman in order to explain the meaning of displacement and emplacement from an ethnographic perspective. And you even drew on your own fetal ultrasound images in your study. So what does the pregnant woman and fetus tell us about Varosha, its refugees, and the cultural meanings in Cyprus as a post-conflict space? Miltem, today I come up with a new word. Thinking of what you just described as a fetus being displaced from the womb, and that's the first displacement and forced displacement of human, I've been thinking of the war today happening in Ukraine and watching these people enforced to leave their homes again. And this is not something new. This has been happening uh, for so long for humans. I ended up saying, you know what? We humans are miscarriages. We are not even born immaturely. We're not even at that stage we live as miscarriages of a womb. We cannot survive in that way until we find a way to stay in a mindset where we can find ways of living in peace. I said, we are still at this stage of miscarriage, let alone being born. We are miscarried, we are ill-carried, we are enforced to leave our places and we are losing the sense of world as a potential to find peace. Because at the other side, we have the invaders of Mars, for God's sake. So are we really improving or we are still at the stage of not being able to stay in a womb to survive? We're not even that mature. I would like to bring us back to that stage. Before birth, we drop out of wombs that we struggle to survive. We are all miscarriages of ill thoughts. We are not mature enough to survive. We humans are not developing. We are just going back and back. I mean, this is, this is so savage. Full stop. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> And we are miscarried by the world system. It's been failing. I would definitely write a poem about this miscarriage, the idea of miscarriage. That's something new. I mean, this is what I felt today, today. Like today, today, I felt we are not even mature enough to survive. We are not born immature. We are miscarriages. I'm really looking forward to reading your work. So I'm arriving to my final question. I hope you're still with me because it's, I'm really enjoying this. 
but uh, I don't want to take you forever, of course. And I have to say, maybe we've been a bit pessimistic. I don't know if it would be wrong to say that world currently is pessimistic with the pandemic and Ukraine. But I have to say, I also feel hope. And I also feel hope in your poetry as well. Remind me that, please. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, you talk about this concept of nostalgia for future. And you explain that nostalgia for future is not only about remembering, so in this context, remembering Varosha, but also the desire to construct, imagine, live at or arrive home, meaning the federal United Cyprus. How do you imagine the federal United Cyprus in your poems? This is a very big question, and I don't think I have succeeded to write a poem or piece yet. It's a process of excavation with words, and I think maybe this is very similar to what we peace seekers have been experiencing at a public level. Like at the political level, we're still in conflict, but at a public level, we have managed to create the culture of peace among people. And I think the process of seeking for peace, working for peace, is a way of peace itself. Maybe it's still in between my lines in my poetry, but it's still a poem that is being written. So I believe in progress. It's, peace will not come at negotiation tables. Peace will come with people being together, living together, finding hopeful lines in poems together. So I would say it's a poem that I keep writing, even in most pessimistic poem. If you read the lines between hope is there, peace is there, I hope, I hope. Absolutely. Yes, it is there. It is <laughs> absolutely there. And humanity is also there and you feel it in, within your whole being. As a final, final question, do you know already when your book will be published? Yes, in March, mid-March latest. So it's in the process of publishing, being published. And it will be distributed everywhere in Turkey and in Cyprus. It's in Turkish. It's called Yarim Inşaat, under construction. That thing being under constructed, I think it already gives you the idea that I am referring to the process of becoming a human. Today, I went back to the idea of miscarriages and how to survive there. If Today, another family is forced to leave home behind. Yes, we humanity is under construction. We haven't become a human yet. No, and some will, unfortunately, they will never become humans. And maybe it's also another discussion which we should have. What is being a human? This is the bigger umbrella that I study under. I'm trying to define what human is because savages sound more human to me when I compare them to today's moderns. They didn't know at least. They had to survive. But we know and we're still violent. It is a big question there. What makes human human? That's why I call my new collection Under Construction, referring to the process of becoming human. Because it seems... The idea of human is a miscarriage. <laughs> if, if human is that violent, 
that ignorant despite all the education that we receive, despite all the money we make, if we're still that violent, there's something wrong somewhere. Some even claim it to modernity. What you said made me think about the great work of Sigmund Baumann, Modernity and Holocaust, who explains that Holocaust, the crimes of Holocaust, they wouldn't have been possible were it not committed during the time of modernity. I'm looking forward to reading Under Construction. Uh, it will be published in March. I'll certainly be following it. Thank you very much for your time, absolutely for your enlightening words. Thank you for having me. Thank you for talking to me today. I needed that conversation. I can't tolerate the things going on on my own anymore. I need to hear from people thinking and feeling in the same way so that maybe we find a new language to express how we say no to war. Yes, I think certainly poetry is one, which is why I'd like to give you the final words since you are the poet. And uh, I would like to kindly ask you to read one of your poems, haikus, which, with your permission, will not only address the Varosha refugees and also the people in Ukraine and all those who are forced to leave their homes and those who lack homes like us. Let's finish with a haiku. Every time I read it, people say, okay, now I understand what it means to be emplaced. So please allow me to read this haiku in my native language as well. Saksıya dikes evinden edilenler ağaçlarını planted in pots of displaced people, the trees. The first trilingual podcast station of Cyprus. Island Talks. Open, diverse, free. <laughs>